KYW Original Podcasts. It's just a good conversation with somebody that you didn't know you were interested in. I'm Matt Leon, and this is One on One. Do you still, to this day, get stopped when you go to the Wawa or whatever, and, hey, can I get a picture of that? Yeah, yeah. You know, that's great. I mean, people in this city, they care about football, um, which, as a, as a football player and athlete, to me, you want to play somewhere where, you know, it means something to those people, and that's, you know, maybe the best part about being an Eagle. And our guest this week, former Eagles linebacker Connor Barwin. Connor, thanks so much for coming in. Thanks for having me. Good to be here. So what are you doing these days? I know obviously you've got the Make the World Better Foundation. Is that kind of your focus right now? Yeah, a little bit. I would say that and uh, enjoying my first fall off with my family for uh, you know about almost 15 years. Uh, so it's, it's been a good few months so far into retirement. What went into the idea of retirement? I mean... Because I, I remember hearing something during the summer that you were still working out, and maybe if the Eagles called or something like that, uh, what kind of went into the decision to say, I'm done? Exactly. So I you know, played 10 years and have been relatively healthy, and so I decided over the summer to get myself ready to play one more year, um, knowing that if it was the right situation, I would be ready to play if that team came calling or those few teams came calling. And if not, I said, you know, there's nothing wrong with getting in really good shape to enter retirement. So that's exactly what happened. I, I got in really good shape, kind of got to my playing weight, and the season started. You know, we got about a month into the season, and there's a few teams that I wanted to play for, uh, obviously the Eagles. And I talked to the Eagles throughout the process, and they, they felt good where they were at, uh, at defensive end. And, uh, and then the other teams I talked to, you know, they weren't calling. And so I said, you know, I'm not going to wait around. I'm going to kind of move on with my life. I feel good. I'm not missing playing football. I'm enjoying watching it. I'm enjoying this time with my family and just decided I had to kind of close that chapter. Uh, and that's why I decided to retire at my birthday when I turned 33. And you mentioned not missing it. No itch. You don't, you know, turn on Monday Night Football and wonder or you're, you're really good. You know, it, it's, it's, I've been surprised. My wife's been surprised. And I, ha- I haven't missed it. You know, I think it was kind of a natural progression. Uh, so the time was right. And, and the best part about it was, you know, I've enjoyed watching football. You know, a lot of guys, their careers end, um, and it doesn't always end. You know, I didn't win a Super Bowl and end my career. Um, so it's not always perfect. But, you know, I'm happy. I'm in a good place, and I'm not missing playing. Let's talk a little bit before we talk about your journey and such. Uh, Make the World Better Foundation doing great work. I think it's three city playgrounds in Philadelphia that you've been able to revitalize. What went into the idea of this being the focus for a foundation? Was it your your dad was a city manager? Did I read that correctly? You read that correctly. Yeah. So my dad was was a police officer and then a career city manager. Um, really really good at his job uh, and I've been I've been watching him his whole career he's still a city manager a city manager down in Sarasota Florida for me doesn't for anybody not familiar with that term it's just a different way of local government it's essentially a mayor I mean he he he's not elected though he's he's appointed by city council and they do everything and they're in charge of the city so the fire the police everybody reports to the city manager like you would report to a mayor um and so I just grew up understanding the importance of public space, green space, parks, and then obviously, you know, playing sports my entire life and it having such a big effect on me, it seemed like uh, an area that I wanted to get involved in. And really, 
you know, we had no idea it would become what it is. Um, you know, I rode my bike past the first playground and, you know, it kind of pulled at me and I decided this is where we would start. And it's just been a continuous learning process uh, from the beginning. And now, as you mentioned, we've we're, we're on our fourth project, which is a massive project in Grace Ferry um, that should be under construction next summer. You mentioned a learning process. What is the biggest lesson you have learned through this foundation and through the idea of revitalizing city areas? I think the biggest thing I've learned is that, you know, you always need to listen. You constantly got to be listening. Uh, and through that, you learn. Uh, but but a more tangible thing that we've learned is that, you know, the, the playground itself is, is important. And that's the end result is creating this safe place for kids and communities to, to play. Um, but really, we believe and I've learned the, the real difference is the process to get there. So we're involved with the neighborhood and the community for anywhere from 12 to 24 months where we get to know them, we talk to them, we build relationships uh, and that process, to me, is where the real magic is, and that's where you kind of, you know, br- you bring a neighborhood together through the process of building mm-hmm. a playground, and you, you know, you help lift up leaders in the neighborhood. You help people get to know each other. You help a neighborhood start to, in some ways, kind of hold each other accountable, uh, and that is what results in a, in, a, in a great playground. And so, for us, you know, it takes time to, to make sure that process is successful. But that's where the real, uh, the real success is. And you are, you are a Philly resident now. Did you move here? Yeah, so I, I lived here the whole four years I played. And then uh, I knew the end of my career I would kind of be moving around. So we, we bought a small condo in Fishtown. Um, and then, you know, when I was in L.A. for a year, we came back. Then I went to New York for a year. And then we came back. Uh, but now, as I've retired, me and my wife are, are here permanently. You were... A guy that when you came here in 2013, you you could tell you immediately clicked with the city. Why do you think that was? Well, I think it's a great city. You know what I mean? Um, and, you know, I lived here year-round. So I think I, I've always tried to encourage my peers, if they have any level of security or commitment from the team they play for, I encourage them to to just, you know, set up roots and live there. And I think I did that in in doing that, you now, you know, you have a whole off-seasons where you can really, you know, get to know the community, get to know the fans. Uh, and I think I did that right away and, uh, you know, just kind of fell in love with the city. Do you still to this day get stopped when you go to the Wawa or whatever and, hey, can I get a picture? Can I get an autograph? Stuff like that? Yeah, yeah, yep. And, you know, that's great. I mean, people in this city, they care about football, um, which as a, as a football player and athlete, to me, you want to play somewhere where – you know, it means something to those people. And that's, you know, maybe the best part about being an Eagle. You were the honorary captain for the Bears game. As we're talking here, we're a couple weeks before Thanksgiving. Uh, what was that like? Well, I actually, we had to cancel because I was sick. Oh. So I wasn't the honorary captain, uh, which is, you know, in my four years I played, uh, I never missed a game, never missed a practice. <laughs> I think it started 64 games in a row. Uh, and then, you know, a couple weeks ago, they asked me to come back and be an honorary captain. And I got incredibly sick from my son so we had to reschedule and and i will be the honorary captain for the dallas game in december not a bad backup game because that's gonna be a lot on the table that'll be a big one so i'm excited to be there for that so let's talk about your life a lot of fascinating threads to pull on but the first thing you were born deaf correct 
Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was the youngest of uh, four boys. Uh, our house was chaotic, to say the <laughs> least. And, uh, yeah, I couldn't hear when I was born. And But the funny part of the story is, you know, my mom didn't realize it until I was, like, almost two years old. Um, just in the chaos of, you know, having all the kids around. I actually went to the doctor with my oldest brother who had an ear infection. And the doctor said, you know, Sean, my older brother, is fine. But your youngest, Connor, can't hear. And uh, my mom was kind of shocked. But that was the case. And then, you know, for the next probably, shoot, maybe I think seven or eight years, I went through a number of kind of massive surgeries and uh, regained my hearing, thankfully. And uh, now the only remnants of it is, you know, through the surgeries, I've pretty much lost. I don't have any hearing in my left ear, but uh, I can hear fine in my right ear. You say massive surgeries. I mean, I'm sure some of them you don't even remember, but did, did it seem like they were massive at the time or was it just life at the time? Yeah, I think the first couple were just life, but I definitely remember the last one because I was probably eight or nine years okay. old. And, uh, you know, this might be graphic, but they essentially like cut my ear off and went in there and then put my ear back on. Um, and so I can remember, you know, because eight or nine, I was, I was, all, I was playing sports and, uh, you know, those, those hearing bones and all the stuff inside your ear are so fragile that you could, I could barely move, you know, for, a, I think it was a couple of weeks where I had this big wrap around my ear and it would be bleeding. And uh, I just kind of had to lay around for a couple of weeks, which was hard for, for me as a, as a nine-year-old. So was football always at the top of the list of sports? It's kind of interesting. When I was young, uh, you know, I started playing football in third grade and it was, Definitely the top. I really didn't have much interest in basketball. I, for some reason, all I wanted to do was play football. I saw a commercial on TV for like the the team, the city we lived in for their like Pop Warner team. Begged my parents to play. They let me play. I think I started early. I think you weren't you weren't allowed to play till fourth grade, but I got I started playing in third grade. Anyways, where I'm going though, when I got into older in grade school, I made a shift. And basketball became kind of my love. And then through high school, it was basketball. But at the end of high school, it became clear that, you know, I was only going to be able to play basketball at, you know, D2, D3 schools. Uh, in football, I would be able to play D1. And so I decided I wanted to, to play D1 sports. And really, it came down to, you know, you could get a full ride if you played D1. So went to University of Cincinnati to play football. Uh, consequently, ended up playing basketball. I was there for two years. Um, and, uh, but to this day, it, it, it obviously switched back to football as right. being my love after, uh, I kind of excelled at it in college and then got to play in the NFL. And we'll obviously focus on the football, but quickly with the basketball, that wasn't, if I'm correct, that wasn't the plan. It's like the university of St. Basketball thing, they got hammered by like injuries and stuff. And exactly. You so, just kind of right guy at the right time. Yeah. So it, the story was, I was getting recruited to play football, kind of the, the, the Mac schools, um, and I don't even know who's in the Mac anymore, but at the time it was like Ball State, Eastern Michigan, Bowling Green, and Cincinnati was kind of talking to me, but they didn't offer me a scholarship. And then Mark D'Antonio was in Detroit for something, and he came to see me play basketball in high school. The next day he offered me a football scholarship. Went to UC, played football, played my freshman year, um, Ended up having a small surgery after the season because we didn't go to a bowl game. And then we had injuries. The basketball team had a couple injuries. Bob Huggins got fired 
Uh, so there was like two big recruits that didn't come that year. Okay. So Andy Kennedy was an interim coach. He called Mark D'Antonio during Christmas break and said, hey, we had another injury. Do you have any football guys that can just help us run practice? And obviously Mark remembered me saying, you know, he remembered me playing basketball. And uh, he said, all right, we got a freshman counter Barwin. He, he had surgery, but he's probably fine now. He can play. Mark called me. I was ecstatic, obviously, because I you know, was a huge basketball player in high school. Drove four hours south during Christmas break. Practiced for two days. You know, was on cloud nine because I thought I was just going to be able to just sit on the bench. You know, this is Big East basketball right. at the time when UC was still in the Big East. You know, get to play all over the country. And uh, Andy Kennedy walked down the bench 10 minutes into the game against Syracuse. Sold out crowd. The game was on ESPN, and he says, "Connor, are you ready to go in?" And I had, I've never been more nervous in my athletic career than at that moment. Uh, I didn't even have my name on my jersey at that point. Checked in, dove for a loose ball, was at the free throw line thirty seconds later, and uh, ended up playing in every single game for the next two years. So it was really, it was really great. So you were nervous, but was that was it almost more fun because? It was so kind of unexpected and kind of out of the blue, and you didn't have the pressure of being a big time recruit or anything like that. Yeah, I, I was. Um, it was fun for so many reasons. My freshman year, there was a great group of seniors uh, on that team. We were still in the Big East. We were good. Um, you know, the, Andy Kennedy was a great coach. Frank Martin was there, who was a coach. Yeah, but yeah, I wasn't supposed to be there, so everything was just great. Um, but then by the end of it, it got more serious. You know, mm-hmm. I, mean, I was a guy that was playing. I was either the sixth or seventh man in the game every game. So, um, but it was I was just I had a blast the whole time. I mean, playing basketball since then at that time was great. My second year, Mick Cronin was there, and it was kind of the start of the rebuild. And uh, it wasn't quite as fun because we were really bad. But it, it's an experience I'll never uh, forget, just because of really you know I, I, from Mick and his commitment uh, to the standard he held all of us to. Because we were, we were outmatched every single night. Um, so that year was special, too. How much was it, how difficult was it juggling two sports? There was a lot to learn because, you know, looking back on it, I have no idea how I did it. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, the body, the mind are amazing things, you know what I mean? And, uh, I mean, at, at one point, the second year I played, I was, I was doing bowl practice and basketball practice in the same day. Wow. Um, you know, so, and I don't know how we did it, but we did it, and I went to school. Um, you know, so it's amazing what the body can do when you just you just do it, you know what I mean? But I was young, too, you right. know, at the same time, um, but had a ton of fun. Time for a break here on One on One. We will have more with former Eagle Connor Barwin right after this. When there's no closure to the mystery and the sorrow, Gone Cold is KYW News Radio's true crime podcast about unsolved cases in the Philadelphia area. Someone has to know what happened and who did this. We searched the wooded area, we searched the dumpsters. Someone's life ended tonight. It's the most important thing you can investigate as a police officer. Who has the clue that unlocks the truth? Search for Gone Cold KYW in the radio.com app or wherever you get your podcasts. And we are back speaking with former Eagle Connor Barwin this week on One on One. You start your football career as a tight end, correct, on the offensive side of the of the ball? Yeah, I came in my freshman year and uh, played tight end. I was Brent Selleck's backup. 
And uh, I actually played tight end my first three seasons. And then my senior year, I moved to defensive end. What was it that they, they saw that they thought this could work? I think it was two things. I think the biggest thing was there was a need. You know what I mean? I think we, our team, we were going to be good. We ended up that year going to the Orange Bowl. Um, and we had one defensive end, uh, but we didn't have a second. And so Brian Kelly, the coach at the time, was looking for an athlete that he could put over there. The other reason was Brian ran a spread, a four wide receiver <laughs> offense, and he and he said, you know, you know, you're gonna, you know, you had a good year, a good junior year at tight end. You know, I know you're coming back. You know, the look, you know, you have a chance to play in the NFL at tight end, but you could really help this team at defensive end. And I don't really use a tight end that much in the offense. So it could be good for you. And, you know, I, I, I bought into it right away and uh, never looked back. I mean, I enjoyed The thing I enjoy about playing defense is, you know, you're doing the hitting instead of getting hit. And in some ways, and this is kind of the way Brian sold it to me, and it isn't exactly true, but it's a good way to sell it to a young kid, is that when you play receiver or tight end, there's a lot of things that have to go right before you can be productive. Mm-hmm. First of all, I got to call a play that you're involved in. The offensive line's got to block enough so the quarterback can throw it to you. You know, so there's a couple things that got to happen before you can even catch the ball and then make a play. He said at defensive end, you know, it's kind of it's a one-on-one matchup every snap and every pass play. It's you versus that tackle. If you can beat him, you know, you'll you'll be productive. And so I bought into that right away, and, and, you know, I always thought about it that way the rest of my career. Was the, I mean, you obviously had success, and it obviously led to the NFL. Was it immediate, like as soon as you got it, it just felt right? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I enjoyed it right away. I had a lot to learn. I mean, I, I, I had, I think, 12 sacks my senior year, which which was a good number in college, but I've gone back and looked at it and I was still so raw. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I was, it was just my athleticism. And uh, even after my senior year, a lot of NFL teams were still looking me, looking at me as a tight end. I mean, I, mean, I went to the senior bowl, which is a, was a college all-star game, played tight end there instead of defensive end. I had a number of, I probably had four or five private workouts from NFL teams as a tight end. Um, so even after my, even after my senior year, it was still kind of up in the air what I would play in the NFL. And I, and I was okay at that point. I mean, I really enjoyed playing defense, but I was okay at, you know, if, if X team wanted me to play tight end, how I, I was going to play tight end. So you get drafted by the Houston Texans second round. Did they specifically say you're on defense for us or no, they that- were one of the teams that wanted me to play defense. Um, and there was never any kind of question about it uh which was which was good and what happened in houston is they were a 4-3 brought me in to kind of be a situational pass rusher played my rookie year had four and a half sacks backed up mario williams it was great second year still with the same defensive coordinator 4-3 defense uh i got hurt the first game of the year broke my ankle was out the whole year the team had a really bad year Defensive coordinator gets fired. Gary Kubiak hires Wade Phillips, and that was really a big turning point for my NFL career because Wade obviously runs a three-four. I moved to outside linebacker, and then for the pretty much the rest of my career, I played outside linebacker. How? I mean, I think people, fans, even hardcore fans, hear that and think, "Well, defense, defense, you're still rushing the passer." That's a big 
change? It does it through the responsibilities, a whole different plethora of responsibilities hit you at outside linebacker, don't they? It, it is. Uh, it, it's not as big as a, of a deal as I think some people okay. make it out to be, but it's a more ideal position for me. And there's a number of guys that it's a more ideal position for. Um, you know, it really has to do with, more, you know, first down or, you know, and the game's changing. It really has to do what your job responsibilities are and kind of base personnel. So meaning when you actually have the three, four personnel out there, so usually verse 12 personnel or 21 personnel, which people don't know what that means. 12 is two tight ends and a running back. 21 is two running backs and a tight end. So they're more, it's more of a run down uh, personnel group. So that is where it's it's more ideal for me. Now, once you get to any kind of passing formations, most three fours are really hybrids, and you kind of turn into a four three because you have four down. You add an extra defensive back. So, not to get into too much football talk, but yeah, on on passing down, it's it's very similar, uh, but on early downs, it, it, uh, it's different. So you spend your first uh, four seasons with the Texans, then you become a free agent. Were you pretty sure you were going to take a leap somewhere else, or did you think there was a possibility of staying in Houston? No, I thought there was a good possibility. I mean, every player thinks they're going to stay where they <laughs> where they were used and, and where they played, but uh, that didn't happen, and it worked out for the best. I mean, I uh, you know they were you know we were negotiating and we were negotiating with Philly and some other teams, and Philly just seemed like the best place to go, and I knew. You know, Jason Kelly, Brent Selleck, Trent Cole were here, and uh, Kelsey had told me about Philly and why he liked playing there, and it seemed like the right place to go. So you sign with the Eagles. Uh, you sign. It's the there was the first year with Chip Kelly, right? Because they brought in exactly everything everything new under Chip. Yeah, Big Red uh, moved on, and uh, Chip came in, and everybody was excited about Chip. And they brought in Billy Davis, and Philly was playing a 3-4, uh, and they needed uh, an outside linebacker, and so it seemed like the perfect place to go. Now you mentioned you talked to the guys that had been at Cincinnati that were on the Eagles. Did you have any knowledge of Philadelphia besides what they had told you, any experiences or anything, or any idea what to expect? No, not really. I mean, I knew it was a historic franchise. You know, uh, I knew you know the Cowboys, Redskins. The Giants, the Eagles, so I knew about that, uh, which was exciting. You know, I knew it was an East Coast city. I knew it was a big city. I knew the Liberty Bell was here. Uh, <laughs> that was about it, though. So I know on the outside, when Chip Kelly took over, we heard about all his innovations, changing things, sports science and stuff like that. And at the time, it's not that long ago. Now it's much more accepted. But at the time, it seemed really revolutionary. On the inside, did it? was it a lot different than anything else you had trained for or how you would trained or how you'd been the, the, the stuff you'd been given to do? In some ways it was, but at the end of the day, it was still pretty basic, simple stuff. I mean, because Chip made it kind of mandatory, mandatory and everybody had to do it and the media bought into all of that and he hired people to manage all of it, it became something big. But at the end of the day, it was stuff that a lot of players and coaches have been doing for decades, which was you perform better if you eat healthier and if you sleep a lot more and if you stay hydrated. I mean, those kind of things are pretty basic, mm-hmm. but it, you know the, the structure of it around a team wasn't in place yet, and Chip 
wanted to put that in place. And also kind of the load management, right? They never they never said load management or talked about loads right. and all of that stuff, but you know, coaches were well aware of like who was getting run into the ground and who wasn't. They just didn't have the the mechanisms to measure it all and Chip brought all of that in. So you guys really have success right away that first year. Yeah, we went 20 it, games the first two yeah, years. It's, yeah, it's exciting. It's fun. What was it like to be in the in the middle of that? I mean, it's not just success, but it's a success that's being portrayed as a new way of success. Well, I think on the inside, a lot of us kind of knew it wasn't – what we weren't doing wasn't that mm-hmm. earth-shattering. You know what I mean? But the, the stuff he was doing on offense was different. So that was fun. Um, you know, what we were having to do on defense because of how he was playing offense was was different. So we, that was different. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that first year was fun because uh, we were winning. We went to the playoffs. We, you know, lost a tough one at home against the Saints. But as time went on, you kind of saw the the issues that were get, that were coming. Um, and, and when you see that, you you know, it doesn't make it as fun, so right. to speak. Um but at the end of the day, we were still playing football, and you know we all enjoyed that. How tough, and you kind of alluded to this, but as a the whole idea of Chip's offense, fast pace, score quick, move football, it puts more and more pressure on a defense. Even when things are going well, yeah. you're out there 85, 90, 95 plays. Did that wear, not on just on you, but as a unit, did that just get tougher and tougher as time went on? Well, there's two things. So... You know, I was uh, 26, 27, 28, 29. I don't know when I was when I was here and playing for Chip in those first few years when we were playing, you know, I was playing every single snap and we were playing 70 to 90 snaps a game. Physically, I was fine. I got in shape. You got used to it. Um, I think some of the stuff we did in the off season was a little much and probably didn't help us into the year. I think where, where that really hurt guys were guys kind of even older than me uh, on the roster, but at the time, at my age, it was fine. As 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 far as you know, what he did and the pressure it put on us. At the end of the day, when they were scoring points, I'd rather play ninety plays if they're going to give us mm-hmm. a fourteen or a twenty point lead. Right, I'll go out there all day and play if we got a lead because that's the way you can you know go rush the passer. Where it started to hurt was you know if you go out there and go three and out, you only take thirty seconds off the clock. And then do it two times in a row or three times in a row. Now it's a real issue because you know we're tired and we don't have a lead. Uh, so you need to be able to adjust. That's why if you look at successful offenses, you know there's a time to put the the foot on the gas, and then sometimes as the goes, game's going, you got to adjust. Then put the foot, you know, put the pedal back on the gas. So you got to go back and forth. Um, I think looking back on it, it's it's hard to ever say you can have the pedal on the gas. All game, every game, because things happen where you got to slow it down. Did you enjoy Chip as a coach? Because I, it, one, I've never met him, but from the outside, it seems like he's just a little different. And maybe it seemed like that might have led to some of the problems that ended up leading to him not being here anymore. Yeah, no, I, I had, I had real, I had no issues with Chip as as a head coach. Again, it's, you know, I, to me, it's about winning. In those first two years, we were winning, so it was great. I think uh, I was a defensive player, so I didn't have that much personal interaction with him. You know, I talked to Billy and Bill McGovern and my coaches, and my, you know, they were all my coaches, but the coaches that mm-hmm. were coaching me up, 
Um, so I didn't get a lot of that personal interaction that some people said, you know, he struggled with cause it just, we didn't have anything to talk about. Um, but as things went on, I mean, yeah, you know, I, I didn't understand some of the personnel moves, but again, you know, players aren't, I wasn't going up and being like asking him why he was making these right. personnel decisions. I mean, looking back on it, maybe I should have, <laughs> but I didn't, um, so yeah, to answer that question, I know people talk about him, you know, and having kind of struggling with, you know, communicating with people at a personal level. For me, uh, I just didn't talk to him that much because he was an offensive coach, really. But you guys, like you said, those first trees, you guys had a lot of success. When you think to your playing days, what are some of the memories that come flooding back as uh, your favorite ones as an Eagle? Um, You know, I... I the Snow Bowl against the Lions was great. The Cowboys game in Dallas uh, in 2013 where it was like back and forth, back and forth. Uh, we won the game there to go to the playoffs. The Giants games, I had a number of you know big Giants games um, that were a ton of fun. Um, I can think of like a fun one was Jacksonville one where we were like down 20 in the first half. Fans were going nuts. And I was kind of older. I was like, I know we're going to win this game because the Jaguars always lose. <laughs> and uh, we ended up coming back and winning. I can remember, uh, you know, a Raiders game where Foles do like ten touchdowns. Uh, we blew them out in Oakland. So you know, tons of tons of good memories. I remember the first the first Washington game with Chip Ever on Monday night, where um, you know people went crazy because we were moving the ball up and down right. the field, and everybody thought it was you know the greatest thing ever. Um, yeah, and then just, you know, moments in the locker room with guys. Uh, so, you know, it was, just, it was a great four years for me. And your final year was under Doug, right? You were yeah. here for Doug's first year. What was that transition like? I don't just mean football-wise, but it seems like personality-wise it was a change, a lot of coaching changes, a lot of personnel changes. What was it like as you transitioned from one staff and one philosophy to another? Yeah, it was uh, it was a lot different. You know what I mean? They, uh, you know, Doug and Chip have different personalities on defense. You know, Schwartz and Billy have you know were different personalities. Um, you know, we went seven and nine that year. So that year was the first year I ever played a game that didn't have playoff implications, uh, which was tough. Uh, that last that week seventeen that year, we were playing the Giants, uh, and we were both out of the playoffs at that point. But uh, you. You saw, I saw the good stuff in Doug mm-hmm. and in Jim and Coach Schwartz, or you know, and in Jim that first year. Even though we didn't get to the playoffs, I knew uh, you know they were different, but I knew they were doing good things. Uh, you know, I can't sit, sit here and say I thought they were going to win a Super Bowl the next year, but uh, you could see how much Doug loved being a head coach, how much he loved being around uh, the guys, and how much guys liked playing for him. You saw how good Carson was. That was his uh, rookie year. And then you saw, you know, a veteran coach in Coach Schwartz, you know, and how he led the guys and and held guys accountable. How tough was it? So you're with the Giants the year they win the Super Bowl, correct? I was with the Rams. You're with the Rams, I'm sorry. Yeah. How tough was it watching the Eagles go on that run from the outside? I'm sure it's got to be some mixed emotions. Yeah, 100%. And I've talked about this a couple times, but yeah, I mean, I was – you know, I was deeply connected with Philly after my four years and had had a lot of success. Uh, 
in Philly. Um, and so when they went on that run, I was like, man, I wish, you know, of course I was like, I wish I was on that team and part of it. But at the end of the day, you know, I was so happy for the guys on that team that I knew for Doug, uh, for Jeffrey, for Howie, and for all my friends in Philly that are just crazy diehard Eagles fans. Um, and then, you know, at, again, it wasn't my decision to leave. So it wasn't like, you know, there were negotiations and I said, all right, I'm going to get out of here mm-hmm. uh, and do something better. Uh, you know, I was released and, and, you know, you move on and those things happen in life. How tough, how did you find out? Was it a phone call that you were released? How did it, how does it go? Well, we had kind of knew it was happening because, you know, just it, it became a story mm-hmm. or it became, it became something people talked about. And so I've always had a good relationship with Howie. And so me and him just communicated through kind of early into that off season. And it was at the point where, yeah, me, so me and him were talking. Okay. And it got to the point where I was like, you know, he was probably trying to see if he could trade me or get something for me. And then that wasn't happening. And so I was like, you know, will you release me in time? So as free agency starts, I'm available so I can make a decision on where I want to go. And so I was like, all right, hold on, hold on. And then finally he was like, all right, we'll, we'll, we'll release you today. And I had a couple of days, uh, or he did it right when free agency broke. So I could choose where I wanted to go after that. So when you look back at your football career, what was your favorite part? I mean, obviously everybody loves to win, but you know, when you think back to the, the core of what it was to be an NFL player for that long, what, what was your favorite part? Well, winning is the favorite part. Mm-hmm. So we, we we can we can I won't say that because that is the best part. Um, so for me, just just to talk about that a little bit. So when I was in Houston, uh, my third and fourth year, when I when I was starting, it was the first time that team ever won the AFC South, so the first division titles, first time ever going to the playoffs. So those two years were a ton of fun. Uh, in Philly, you know, we went to the playoffs that first year. That was a ton of fun. The second year, we won ten games again, so that was fun. Um, so those were probably the, the those four core years where we're winning and getting the playoffs were the best. But after that, it's uh, you know it's it's the guys you get to meet. I mean, the, the locker room is an incredible place, and I'll always say that. I mean, the range of personalities and life stories. Uh, there, there's nothing like it. I mean, there's no other sport like it. There's no other office like it. There, there's nowhere where you can you can get that. And so. That's the best part, and that that was my entire career, everywhere I went, and that was one of the, you know, would have it's it's incredible, and I admire the hell out of guys that have stayed in one place their career, but for me, you know, to play in four cities, it was great. I mean, I played in you know, L.A., Philly, New York, uh, and Houston. I mean, four great cities where I met tons of great people, coaches, um, and so. That would probably be, you know, after winning, that would be the best part. Who is the best player you ever played with and the best player you ever played against? And when I say against, I mean you really matched up with. Oh, so not Tom Brady? (laughs) (laughs) No, like somebody, you know, the offensive lineman or tight end or somebody that you really, every time you just matched up with them, you just, at the end, you were like, man, that that was intense. Um... I would say uh, Trent in uh, Washington, left tackle, and 
Dallas, Tyrod, the left tackle in Dallas. Those two, those two are the best um, that I ever went against, and the best player I ever played with. I was fortunate to play with so many great players, uh, and I'll just talk about defensive linemen. But you know, I played with J.J. Watt. Uh, I played with Aaron Donald. I played with Fletcher Cox. Uh, so those three guys on the inside. I mean, you know, those. I mean, JJ and Aaron Donald are for sure Hall of Famers. I mean, Fletcher, you know, he continues to play well. That's definitely something that's possible for him. But, uh, yeah, I mean, those guys inside, are, they've just been incredible. And I was there, I was with Aaron one year, uh, and just so dominant every single game. Uh, unselfish, great guy, great teammate. Loved playing with him. Um, and then JJ, I was with him his, his for a couple of years, and I was with him his first year. He won Defensive Player of the Year and just – you know, I've never seen a guy dominate a game like he he was taking over there for a couple of years, and just the stats he put up. I mean, he was getting twenty sacks, he was getting like forty or fifty TFLs. I mean, no one's no one's doing that. Yeah, and batting down the ball fifteen times. I mean, so uh, those guys were pretty incredible to play along with. Do you remember the first practice or first time you played with JJ? And was there that? Oh my goodness! Like this no, this yeah, guy's special. Yeah, I, no, no, I re- he had a, he had a very kind of average rookie year. And uh, average. I mean, he was he was very good. But you you know you and he'll probably say this. You know, you after his rookie year, you never knew he was going to turn into what he was. What happened um, is, I think you 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 saw it a little bit that his rookie year was the 2011. We went to the playoffs for the first time, and in Houston, and he kind of took off in those few playoff games. I think we played the we played at home against the Bengals and he had a pick six, and then we played the Ravens and he had like I think he had like four sacks all year. And in the Ravens game he had like two or three, and I've always told people it was that those two playoff games that kind of propelled his confidence in his career because he never looked back after that. Uh, and I think his rookie year was he had all that ability. He was just kind of questioning what he was doing and trying to play the system. And he had a couple big games in the playoffs. And he was just like, I'm just going to be me. And he just started being him uh, and taking chances and making plays. And the confidence just kind of snowballed. And he's obviously become one of the most dominant players of all time. And let's, as we wrap it up, let's bring it back full circle. We started talking about your foundation. Uh, If people want to get involved, want to learn more, what would you encourage them to do? Well, I would encourage them to, you know, follow us on social media and stay up to date to what we're working on, which is just MTWB Foundation. And the next kind of little fundraiser we're doing is we're doing a fun thing with yards. We're doing a a tailgate watch party for the December 15th game. So you can, if you follow us on social media, you'll follow, you can find the ticket link and uh, it'll be, you know, an all you can drink, eat event where you buy a ticket, come and We'll watch the game and have fun and raise some monies for Philadelphia Parks. Are you, and given your background with your dad and all of you, I probably know the answer to this, but are you surprised at how fulfilling this foundation and the work you do is? Did you expect it to be as fulfilling as it is? You know, I, nev- I never thought about that early. You know, I didn't think about it in terms of like being fulfilled, um, but... It's it's been incredible. I mean, I, I guess I I didn't think I would meet so in, 
so many incredible people. Um, and I mean, you know, the people that are on our staff, the people that support our organization, but mostly the people in the neighborhoods and communities that we work with. I mean, you just meet awesome people, hear their stories, uh, and they just, you know, they're, 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 they're lifelong relationships that you're making. Connor Barwin, thanks so much for coming by. Thank you, man. Thanks for having me. And that's a wrap for this week's episode of One on One, which is a sports podcast from KYW News Radio. If you like this show and want to help us out, make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss an episode. And you can help more people find out about the podcast by finding the show on Apple Podcasts and leaving a rating and a review. You can follow the show on Twitter at One on One Pod, and you can follow me on Twitter as well at Matt Leon Ten Sixty. Many thanks to former Eagle Connor Barwin for joining us this week. My name is Matt Leon. Come back next week for another good conversation with someone you should know more about.